It is really good to see each and every one of you. Uh, What a great start to our morning. Amen? Amen. It's a great start to the morning. We're here, nestled in the church where God wants us to be. It's warm, not too warm. And we have smiling faces and people who love the Lord and are ready to worship Him. Amen? Let's worship the Lord. We've done that in song. We've done that in prayer. Now let's worship the Lord in word. Let us determine in our hearts to surrender to the truth of God's word. Today we wrap up our sermon series, Improving Your Marriage Without Saying a Word. This is part four. I know some people have maybe found it hard to believe that you could improve your marriage without saying a word, but I think the scriptures have shown that you can improve your marriage without saying a word. And sometimes we know talk ends up hurting the marriage more than just being quiet and doing. And so in the first three parts, we looked at the fact that, number one, God created the covenant of marriage. It's his creation. He created the people involved in marriage, a man and a woman, gender specific. God created them male and female. God created them. And God created the parameters of marriage. And with that, we talked in part two that really and truly... There may be many similarities that we have as men and women, husbands and wives. But there really are significant differences. We talked about the idea that you may have a bad marriage. But it can get better. You might have a good marriage that be a great marriage. But it all falls to one spiritual principle in regards to a husband and wife and also in just individual relationships that we have in this world. While this is a marriage series, the principles that we've talked about apply to most every relationship. And I know there can be one stubborn person in a marriage that can make it absolutely difficult. But this series really is centered in saying to couples that are married to one another, that are striving to be pleasing to the Lord, that that marriage can be made better. I found a real interesting quote a few weeks ago, and it said, uh, when we're dating, opposites attract. When we get married, opposites attack. You know, there's some truth to that. But the reality is, it's not one or the other. The reality is, there is a beauty that God has created in the differences, in the opposites. And they will always be a wonderful and good thing. But when you're dating and you're young in love, 
you're experiencing so many new things about the individual, the foods they like, the kinds of movies they like, and all these different kinds of things, which is so interesting. But when we get married, at some point, those things that once we loved about the individual, now we no longer like at all. Or we just use them as an excuse that they get on my nerves, they irritate me, and I don't like it. Change. And so we, we've talked about so much, and I'm trying to sit here and make sure I'm clarifying the fact that these are, I think, rules of thumb, except for where it comes out of God's truth. We can talk about the natural default of a man or a woman where as a woman at some point when she is feeling neglected and not heard, she's going to have to talk it out with you. And we can talk about the difference of a man often not wanting to talk and the more that someone tries to talk to him, the further he pushes away and he withdraws. Those are rules of thumb. Not hard, cold facts, but rules of thumb. But the essence of making your marriage what God wants it to be falls in Ephesians 5.21 where Paul tells us out of reverence for Christ submit yourselves to one another. Now a young couple may not get that. But if you've been married any length of time, you know the value that is there or would be there that you hope that you would have if you were in a marriage where you knew your spouse out of their love and their reverence for God were submitting themselves to you. And we said the word submit literally means to willingly and voluntarily place yourself under someone else ultimately for their good. And we've said Christ is the great example in submitting to us in that he laid down his life on the cross and died a cruel death because of his love for his bride. He gave himself for his bride. He surrendered. He sacrificed. He suffered. He willingly submitted to his father. He did not consider equality with God something To be grasped. Is that not true? And if and when we all do the same. Not only the relationships that you have in this world get better. The relationship you have with your spouse will get better. But it's also true. That one can sacrifice and one can surrender and they're ready to see the results from that sacrificing and surrender. It may not happen tomorrow. It may not happen next month. It may not happen next year. And we feel like we have the right after we've done it a few times to start expecting what we're doing to change them. And last week we said that God's mercies in our lives allow us to continue to do for Him what He has called us to do, irregardless of the results. And that's hard. 
we want immediate change if the relationship's not good. And I know there's probably some people here that's been married a long time and you think this is just the way it is. It's never going to get any better. I might as well just settle in because this is the way it's going to be until separated by death. But that's not true. It's not true at all. But embracing God's reality of truth about marriage and relationship and sacrifice and surrender and submission willingly is everything because he is the designer, the creator of marriage, the parameters and the participants of marriage. And he will bless those who submit to him. And I want to stress before we move into part four of this series that if you're living in a relationship, any relationship that's outside of God's word, then it is outside of God's will. And if it's outside of God's will, it is outside of God's blessing. And eventually, eventually, you will face the wrath of God. We are not to conform to the pattern of this world. Hollywood tells us all kinds of different things that's counter to the Word of God. Be yourself. Live and let live. Love whoever you want. That's just not true from God's perspective. It's not true. Now, so as we transition here into part four, the the title, if you like titles, is Getting to the Right Place. Now, most often, marriages begin for the most part, in the right place. Not always, but mostly. Getting to the right place is important because many marriages get off track and they're in the wrong place for many, many, many years of the marital life, if not all of them. And there's nothing worse Nothing worse for you, from the biblical perspective, to be married to someone who is your spouse, but they're really a bad roommate. That's not what God wants your marriage to be. And so I want to show a picture that's almost 39 and a half years old. Uh, it's of Danielle and I, and you've got your own picture, and I'd like you maybe to figure out the picture back with the wife of your youth. And then I've got to insert with that being said, like I know there's people here that they've been divorced. They're maybe single now. There's people your spouses have died. God's grace and God's forgiveness over all of those areas of our life is there for us. There's people remarried. There's people in blended families. I mean, there's all of it. I know that. And that 
Whether you're here and you're divorced, you're here and you're single and I'm not good enough, I can't find somebody to love me, whatever it might be, yes, you're good enough. And the divorce didn't ruin you. God can bless you and and take you into greater and more wonderful things. But if you are still with the wife of your youth, you are blessed. You are blessed. And there's this picture of Dee and myself, like I said, from 39 and a half years ago, 1977, 78. She had just, I think, turned 16. I was turning 16. I was getting ready to turn 17. It's right in that frame. And it's something about this picture I love, and I wanted to make a point about it. And if it hopefully it'll show up. But there it is. Don't you just love the hair? <laughs> That's back when perms were supposed to be the thing. Good grief. What do we do to ourselves, guys? But I'm going to tell you about this picture. I remember where it was taken. It was taken at my Grandpa West's house. I don't remember why it was taken. I don't know who took it. I just remember, you know, this is the time period it was taken. Thirty-nine and a half years ago. That's my beautiful bride, Danielle D. Gill. She didn't know that I was the man of her dreams then, but... After she walked into study hall in high school, the rest is history. She invited me to a dance. And it's been happy, loving romance ever since. But in that picture, what is important to me is the way she's looking at me. And that picture convicts me to want her to always look at me that way. Now, guys, I don't care where you are in the marriage chain of years, good, not so good. It's our calling from God to live a life as a husband to our spouse, our wives, although it may not always be easy, but to live in a way that our wives look at us with a deep, devoted love. I want Danielle to always look at me that way. The other day, I was flexing when she was coming into the kitchen. But I was trying to look like I wasn't flexing just to show off a little. And she's like, did you pull your back? And I thought, okay, all right, that's, that's, that's not, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. That picture nine years ago wouldn't know the, the five or six times that we, we broke up before we actually got married. Wouldn't know the, 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 the struggles that we had trying to figure out if we were going to get married and it wouldn't share the, the loss of a brother in that picture and the loss of family members and all that we had to deal with. But uh, I know my wife. I know she still looks at me that way. And that's everything to me. And I'd say to you wives, getting to the right place with your spouse, your husband, you've got to look at him in a special way. He is your man, and he will not always desert 
I remember going through a difficult period of ministry in my life. A part of a very conservative church in many ways for nine years. Loved the church. One of the great leader elders passed away. New eldership transitioned in. And my first meeting with the new eldership group who had strong personalities was you will preach that musical instruments are sinful and jeopardizes the soul to hell. Now you guys think, well, that's... But that's how fast things can change in ministry. And that's exactly what happened. But this one wonderful elder who was an evangelist at heart for most of his life, Russ Fowler, held everybody with wisdom to the Word of God and not the tradition of a religious movement. And trying to allow Dee to get through school and graduate because that was something that she wanted to do in her respiratory therapy, it meant, what am I going to do? And I can't do what I'm being asked to do. And I resigned. After nine years in the church that I loved and the people that I loved, it was a difficult time in ministry. Never was out of the pulpit one week. A group came together. We had a church, started meeting in an old barn. It was at 50 or 60 by the week three. And that church still exists today. Just so you know, it was called Promised Land Church, enjoying the promises of God. Dee graduated from school. But during that time, ministry is hard. Can you imagine trying to keep Two or three hundred people happy? Try to do it in your own family. Ministry's hard. Expectations seem unrealistic so often. And you, you, you take your wife through that. This is my calling. I know God's called me to ministry, but she's there for me and with me. But God didn't call her to be an evangelist, to pastor a church. And I remember one day feeling so low because I was preaching at this church and I was selling commercial grade uh, air conditioning and we were getting by and going to the Myers grocery store or there it was like Kroger and looking at the old meat because I had to just every penny counted and peeling off the old meat so that nobody, family, my kids or D would see it because that's that's. Old meat, we can't eat that. Well, yeah, you can. It's good. And it's much cheaper doing whatever it took to get by and take care of the family. Had opportunities to go to churches, but didn't because she wanted to graduate with her degree. And that's what we did. But one day, feeling so low, that young lady, as I was backing out of the drive to go sell some more commercial-grade air conditioning to churches, feeling like I'd drug her through and caused her a lot of struggle, I was at that point where I just felt like crying. Just felt like crying. Tired. Backing out, I looked at her, 
and with those emotions said, I'm sorry. She said, for what? And I said, for dragging you through some of this stuff. I'm telling you, wives, she had the power to crush me. Not exaggerating. In that moment, she had the power to crush me. I said, for dragging you through this kind of stuff. And she said the five most important words to me, more important than I love you, maybe more important than I do or I will. She said, we'll do whatever it takes. That's what she said. And we have. Marriage is difficult and hard. But if you've got a spouse that stands by you, that is committed to you, that when they could crush you with a word, they don't. Because their love overrides all things for you, but for God first and foremost. I know it's not something we want to hear, but most of our marriages are not what God wants them to be because we're just so selfish and self-centered. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. The way I want it. And that's not the way God created marriage. So how do we get to the right place? Here's how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 12. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Now, this here is written to the churches, but I really want you to look and see this through, you know... The lens of a marriage. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. That's the whole point. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. But the New Living Translation, same verse. Look at how it says it. I just love the way it says it. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Never, what? Be lazy. But work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our conflict. And be confident in hope. Be patient in trouble. And keep on praying. This is in any relationship, but especially a marital relationship, this is the place to be. This is where you have to be. If you're not there, your marriage struggles. Your marriage will not, cannot be what God wants it to be because this is what God wants out of your life. 
I mean, remember what Peter said in 1 Peter 3, 6? If you want to be like Sarah, wives, realize that by your behavior, you can win your husband to the Lord without words. Now, that's the power of living for God. This is how we get to the right place. This is submitting to the Lord. This is willingly lining ourselves up. If you're not this way, you need to be this way. Someone says, well, I'm just too old. I've been the way I am. This is my personality. Let God change the way you're doing it. Let God change your personality to some degree. Let the Spirit move in you enough to change you. The excuse of this is the way I've been is lazy. Change. Change yourself because of your love for the Lord. There's five things, according to researchers, that most couples face, make it difficult to do these things, and that we fight about most. I don't know if these are the exact like order, but these are the five things that most researchers say that married couples fight about. So you can sort of look and see if it fits you. Money, don't have enough of it, or what we do have, how are we going to use it? Or how's it being spent? Who's the saver? Who's the spender? Money is what a lot of couples fight about. Number two, sexual intimacy. A lot of couples fight about it. Free time. How are we going to spend it? What are we going to do? Are we going to do it together? Are we going to do it apart? What are we going to do? We never... Housework. Would you help? Men in general, in general, aren't great at housework. We just, for some reason, that's, that's what the, the wife does. And she cooks and she cleans and she works a job, right? No, we got to housework. We don't need to fight about that, but we do. Extended family. Oh, my goodness. Extended family. Moms and dads getting in the way, getting in the middle, brothers and sisters and all the loyalties and this and that and the manipulation. Extended family. So here are the top five things that people fight about. Maybe you find yourself in one of these or all of these. But that's not the right place for us to be. The first thing that will make a big difference in your marriage is you have to understand that love is a verb. This is what John says in 1 John 3. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. Now, you can finish this statement for me and join me in, join in with me. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. We can talk something to death. How about not talking and seeing that love is a verb. Now, there are some psychologists that say love is a verb. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. And we understand that the primary truth about love, it is an action. We see it right here, action and truth. But 
At the same time, we know that behind love and there's emotion and feeling, right? When, when Danielle walked into the study hall at 15 and I saw her for the first time, it was just like pure feeling emotion. Like, oh, baby, I got to get to know this girl. All right, in her notebook, Patrick Gill was here, sat on her desk. She don't know me. She's right behind me. She's over there in the library. She comes out. Who's Patrick Gill? And the rest really is history. But so, you know, we've got to be careful because love is a verb. Love primarily is an action. But there's emotions and feelings tied in with those actions. But, you know, if if we have to feel a certain way to do something, then we're all in trouble because it's more than likely you're not going to feel like getting up and going to work tomorrow. Sometimes you don't feel like getting up and going to church. You know, if it's all based on emotion, we're all in trouble. If we do just what we feel, we're in trouble. But love does supersede that because love is an action. It's a commitment that we've made. We're going to do the things even when we don't feel like it because we know it's right, we know it's within God's will, and it honors Him. And ultimately, we do get to the place where we do feel it and have that emotion, that loving emotion that God's created in people. But love has to be seen as a verb. If it's your spouse has to prove by all their actions all the time that they love you or for you to love them back and treat them in a way that God has called you to treat them irregardless, marriage isn't going to be successful as God would have it to be. I want you to look from the message. And what I want you to notice as we go through these slides and more than likely, if you, if you were married or are married, you had 1 Corinthians 13 read at your wedding, probably. But not one time do you see in the word love here as an emotion or a feeling. Here, specifically, it's all action. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Doesn't have a swelled head doesn't force itself on others. It all, it's, it's always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Takes pleasures in the flowering of truth. Puts up with anything. Trusts God always. Always looks for the best. Never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Is that you in your marriage? Is that how you're loving your spouse? Because that's an action. That's what we're called to do if we want to honor God. And God gives us the power through His Spirit to do it whenever we willingly surrender and line ourselves up under His Lordship in all things. And through prayer and action, allow Him to work His will in our lives and the lives of those that we love. Number two, if you want to get to the right place, you've got to think about your spouse's needs. 
This is how Paul Bay puts it later on in Ephesians. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Just general love and respect. But the word here is agape. It's unconditional love. Your spouse's needs are critical to the relationship. 1995, what is that? Almost 22, 3 years ago, Gary Chapman wrote a book. Do you remember it? The Five Love Languages. And basically, you know, his thoughts were, this is how some people feel loved and give love, receive love, experience love. And the reality is, if you can know somewhat what your primary love language is, that's a good thing for you, and it's definitely a good thing if you know what it is for your spouse. And it's also important because if your spouse's love language is different than your love language, but you're trying to show your love for your spouse with your love language and not hers, it's like someone getting together that speaks French and Chinese and they're trying to order a breakfast that just goes nowhere. You can even get on Gary Chapman and find the book and you can take the, the survey and, and sort of discover what your love language is. Now, this is a rule of thumb. A lot of us have a little bit of all of these or, or would want all of them, but words of affirmation. Next to ketchup, that's my love language. Words of affirmation. I appreciate you. You look nice. I love you. Words of affirmation goes a long way for people who this is their love language. To be acknowledged. Now listen, if you're doing it in a cynical way, not a positive, genuine way, that is no good. It's not what God wants and it's no good. But you have to also remember that a person that's love language is words of affirmation. You can say hurtful things and it's harder for them to get over that and forgive it. Getting to the right place is knowing our spouse's needs. And I think this is a good, you know, place to look at and think about, maybe in more detail for all of us that are married, what is my love language? What is my spouse's love language? Words of affirmation, saying nice things that are honest, genuine, and true. And being careful what you do say and how you say it. Acts of service. Helping out with the laundry. Helping out with the housework. Making a pot of coffee. Stopping on your way home and getting your spouse their favorite pint of ice cream. Whatever it is, I don't know what it is for you. Acts of service. One of the ways, and I think I've told you this before, that's another great way my wife through acts of service says she loves me. I got an old percular coffee pot. It's the best making coffee stuff in the world. It's boiled and it's hot. But is it a bear to clean up? And when I get up in the morning and there are times where she's taken it and cleaned out those grounds and washed it, filled it up with water, put coffee in it, all I got to do is plug it in. It's like she had me a good morning. 
That So all of the different acts of service, helping in the yard, whatever it might be, acts of service are ones that are thoughtful, that you know that it's going to bless your spouse because you've thoughtfully chosen to do something for them that you know they'll appreciate and like. Receiving gifts. I used not to like this one because it just seems so materialistic. But the reality is, as Gary Chapman develops it, it could be materialistic and it could be very shallow, but receiving gifts, that's some people's love language. More so than words of affirmation or acts of service. It's a, a gift. You, you thoughtfully got this for me. You, I was in your mind. You knew that I would like that. Like I told you a few weeks ago, if I buy my wife a tree or a plant, it's almost next to the Lord's return. That's what she like gifts. Now, my, my wife is not a, that's not her love language. Acts of service, quality time, I think, would be my wife's love language, but I don't want to speak for her. But if your love language, the way you receive love is someone being thoughtful and giving you something that knows going to be special to you, that means a lot. Last Christmas, I'd talked about it forever. I would never buy one for myself. But my daughter and son and wife and daughter-in-law, daughter and son-in-law bought me this Apple Watch. That spoke love because I knew it cost them. What is it for you? See, this is true really in relationships in general, but whenever a spouse never speaks kind words, uplifting words, whenever there's never any real action out of love for a person or doesn't think about them enough to give them a gift or do something for them, quality time, I would say to you, and this is one that uh, I think we all struggle with. I know I do from time to time. When I'm with Dee, even at a restaurant or on my day off out walking, every time that phone goes off, I'm looking at it, looking at it. Who is it? Do they need an immediate response? What's going on? And sometimes she's like, can't we just... Will the world end if you don't check the phone? Can you put it in airplane mode? I might break out in anxiety if I put it in airplane mode. Do you really want me to put it in airplane? But the reality is your spouse does want your undivided attention and cell phones often get in the way. Physical touch. Physical touch. A kiss. Holding someone in says so much to that person. That's the love language of many. And that's the way some people express their love. Arm around. I love putting my arm around my wife. I love walking down the street with her and holding her hand. I love it when she reaches out and takes mine. Because it says to me, she loves me. So these are things that we all can do to get to the right place. And we need to be doing them. Why in the world would we not want to do all of those things 
even if it's not naturally our way of showing love, why wouldn't we want to do all these or be blessed by all of these? By the person that we stood before God and a minister and said, I will love you faithfully until the day I die. Why wouldn't we want to? We should want to. Third, intimacy sexually is the result of being in the right place. Now, the fact is, in God's word, intimacy of this kind is exclusive for a married married couple. And outside of a marital union, it is sinful. Sex is a beautiful word. Sex was created by God. In fact, the Bible opens up with two people, husband and wife, Adam and Eve, naked in the garden, being told, be fruitful and multiply. Sex isn't a dirty word. The world's made it dirty. The world has mutated it and disfigured it. But sex outside of the marital union is sinful. And you need to know that because you want God's blessing. And if you don't, you won't have it. And at some point, God's wrath will come upon you. Sex isn't a dirty word. Abraham, in his upper 90s, what was he doing? Trying to get Sarah pregnant. Sex isn't a dirty word. Sex is a beautiful thing. It's created by God. But guys, husbands, if you want sexual intimacy with your wife, you need to totally understand, if you don't, that if there are walls, emotional walls, frustration walls, if you're not in the place of the love languages, you're not going to be happy because a woman wants a closeness emotionally with her husband And a husband, he can have sexual intimacy with his wife and not necessarily need to be emotionally connected. We're different. Look at this. Put it this way so I wouldn't mess it up and would say it right. Most men would see sex as the main ingredient for having a good marriage. That's most men. Not Maybe not all men, but most men would see sex as the main ingredient for having a good marriage. What about women? Most women would see sex as a result of having a good marriage. Happy wife, in the right sense here, guys, is a happy life. The first place the problem shows up in sexual intimacy, the first room it shows up is a bedroom. And so, husbands and wives, we, we've got to see that we have to live out and be what God's called us to be. And love is the action. Here's the way we express our love. We surrender to God's will. And that sets the atmosphere right. 
for the man and for the woman. But we also need to understand something about husbands or men. You may kiss your husband or pat him on the tush as a term of endearment, like I love you. But he's thinking something else. That's the way the man thinks. Men and women are different. And I just can't say it enough because I'm getting ready to move to the important truth that, uh, that in a marriage, sexual intimacy, for the most part, is something that God has commanded. And you might not even think that. For the most part. Why do you say for the most part it's something God has commanded? Because there are different times in different people's lives. And I've done the embarrassing research to ask the questions from a lot of different people at a lot of different ages. Hey, tell me about your sex life. You know, you're 80. How's it going? I want to know, what changes? You know, the basic thing that, that comes... Am I blushing? I feel like I'm blushing. But you know, we don't talk about it in churches, and we should. The Bible does. But the, the main thing is things do change as a rule of thumb. As you get older, you change physically, anatomically. Your health is a part of the equation. There's a lot of things that just change. And so it's really not the sex word. It's more of the sensitivity word. Being sensitive to each other. So a healthy marriage for the most part, will be consistent and enjoyable between a husband and a wife. But things do change. You get older. All of those things. And you've got to realize it about your spouse and yourself. And you talk. And you do work those things out. But I do want to say for the majority of marital couples, this is true. Marriage, a healthy marriage, will include consistent and enjoyable sexual intimacy between the husband and the wife. Period. It's biblical. It's commanded by God who created marriage. I'll be so glad when I'm sitting at home on the couch this afternoon and this series is over for a while. Someone who thinks like, well, you know, sex is a dirty word. They just, they get it wrong. I want you to listen. I'm going to read through this fairly quickly. These are probably some, this probably here is the sexiest passage in Scripture. Song of Solomon, chapter 7. Now, this is Solomon and his bride. Now, chapter 4 was the honeymoon. Chapter 7 appears to be 
they've gotten on time and they're, they're, they've lived. They, they're a married couple and they've been a married couple for a while. At least it appears that way. How beautiful are your sandaled feet. Oh, queenly maiden. When's the last time you talked like that to your wife, Ben? Your rounded thighs are like jewels. Somebody get me a handkerchief. <laughs> the work of a skilled craftsman. Now you think about Solomon is writing this to his bride. How do you think she's feeling? Now, this isn't the honeymoon. This is they are married. They are a couple. They've spent some time together. Your navel is perfectly formed like a goblet filled with mixed wine. Now, that's the way, guys, we need to be writing letters to our wife on Valentine's Day. Like, oh, between your thighs lies a mound of wheat bordered with lilies. I'll never look at a lily again the same way. Between, okay, I've got to get past that part. I'm, your, your breasts are like two fawns. Twin fawns of a gazelle. Now tell me that's not romantic. It is. Oh, it is. Your neck is as beautiful as an ivory tower. Your eyes are like the sparkling pools in Heshbon by the gate of Bath-Rabim. Your nose is as fine as the tower of Lebanon overlooking Damascus. I hope that was a little tower. (laughs) Your head is as majestic as Mount Carmel, and the sheen of your hair radiates royalty. The king is held captive by its tresses. Oh, how beautiful you are! How pleasing, my love! How full of delights! Now, I know most of us don't have the skills to talk like that. But that is the way your wife needs to feel that you feel about her. That is the way your wife needs to feel that you feel about her. God didn't put this in Scripture just to be gratuitous. He put it in Scripture, I think, to make a point. This is the way that God has created a marriage covenant to be this the way a man feels about his bride. Guys, let's pick up our game. Let the Kentwood Christian Church marriage and couples really grow stronger and be everything that God wants us to be so that others will see our example and see what God really wants out of marriage. Oh, how beautiful you are, how pleasing, my love, how full of delights. You are a slender like a palm tree, and your breasts are like clusters of fruit. You know, he just can't get away from the breasts. I said, I will climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruit. Come on, Solomon. But hey, we know what he's saying. Could you turn that air down? (laughs) May your breasts be like grape clusters and the fragrance of your breath like apples. May your kisses be as exciting as the best wine.
And then we switch. And the bride starts speaking back to her groom. Yes, wine that goes down smoothly for my lover, flowing gently over lips and teeth. I am my lover's, and he claims me as his own. Not controls, but claims. This is my wife. I love her. I feel this way about her. And she knows it. Come, my love, let us go to the fields and spend the night among the wild flowers. When's the last time you read this? Let us up early and go to the vineyards to see if the grapevines have budded, if the blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates have bloomed. There I will give you my love. There... The mandrates give all of their fragrance and the finest fruits at the door. New delights as well as old, which I have saved for you, my lover. Marriage and the sexual intimacy of marriage is the most beautiful creation of God's if we do it His way, always His way. Anything outside of His way is damaging. And that's why this world is in the shape that it's in. That's why people get married, and most of the time you see it on Hollywood and E.T. tonight, and they're married one hour, one day, one week, five times, six times. Marital counselors giving marriage advice and been divorced and remarried five different times. And yet trying to tell everybody else how to love the way that God has designed us to love. Like I said, if Hollywood says it, most of the time as a rule of thumb, don't believe it. This is the way God promotes marriage. This is the beauty of marriage. If you're not there, you just need to re-get on course. Get in the right place so that your marriage is like this. I don't care if you've been married 64 years like Doris and Dave Zayer. They say to you that they want more time. It's not been enough time. Some marriages after a year is like too much togetherness. But not when it's done God's way. Dave Dorse, please stand up. 64 years of marriage God's way and they want more time. So change and let God change you. Now, I said this sexual intimacy is a biblical mandate by God. Let me show you that. And then we're going to close out because I've gone long again today. Next month, I'm going shorter. But this is too important. It's too important for people's happiness in their marriage. If you, husband or wife, are depriving your spouse of sexual intimacy. You are outside of the will of God and living in defiance of the Word of God. You see, sometimes we use sex to punish the other person, deprive the other person. And Scripture says that's not the wrong attitude, it's the wrong heart, and it's in defiance of God's will. Now, I've already built the case for husbands and wives that you can't have an emotional brick wall 
that's there. That's got to be removed. You've got to get in the right place to have this kind of a relationship. Without it, you're defeated. But this here is a truth about God's word, and it comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. You don't see that word you hear used a lot in prison systems. Where someone who's in prison, the spouse can come in because even the state in many states recognizes conjugal rights. This word conjugal literally means something old. It is a debt, but we would see it very rightly so. Marital rights, sexual rights. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal, marital, sexual rights. That is Paul speaking. And likewise, the wife to her husband. It's all right to have a headache once in a while. But to have a prolonged headache over months and years, you got to go to the doctor. There it is. It is Scripture. It's the way God's created it for those that are in that season of grace and ability and not sight of it for whatever other reason may be taking place in the body. For the wife, I know this one, it, it applies to both the husband and wife. You're not going to like this probably, but it is God's Word, and I love it. For the wife does not have authority over her own body. But the husband does. But Paul don't stop there. He says, likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do you realize when you become one in God's sight, you're no longer yourself. You are one in God's sight. And your spouse's interests and their needs and their love is what you give to them and it's a command of God. You're not your own person. I always say to people now in premarital counseling, it took me a while to, to get it. If you do a unity candle, when you go up and your mothers light the two outside candles, and then when you go up on the stage and you're going to light that center candle and set them back down, I want you to blow those candles out. Now, you can get somebody else to do your wedding if you want, but this is important to me. A lot of people know I don't want to blow that candle out because that, that means I'm not a, my, an individual anymore. I'm losing myself. Do you not understand marriage? Two become one. There's a significance in the unity candle. Blow out that candle or I'll blow it out for you. If I'm going to do your wedding and you're going to do unity candles... There's, I mean, I'm not going to, we've got a problem in premarital counseling. If you're ready to go into a marriage and you think you're going to keep your individuality, you're not. Do you really think that? What does Paul mean? You don't belong to yourself anymore. Your body doesn't belong to you anymore. That's why a wife or a husband gives their mate their conjugal rights, their marital rights. It's what they owe. It's a debt. It's what God has created. And if it's not happening it's going to open a door for Satan. Whether it's online or that 
person comes up and whispers in your spouse's ear something nice and affirming or, or does something kind for you that he or she didn't do, all of a sudden you're going to have a big mess on your hands because you allowed Satan to open a door. If something happens to me and my wife ever remarries, I say this tongue-in-cheek, but not really, because that's how fleshly I am. I want to have done so well for her that everybody's a big disappointment. (laughs) I told her I'm going to donate my eyes to science and let them put them in somebody and follow her around wherever she goes. (laughs) But, I, you know, there it is, and I don't want to make light of it, but we're not our own. You're not your own. And if you try to be your own, that's why when you decide to say, I do, When you decide to get married, you better make sure as a single person that you know them and that it's a good fit. Because even when you know them and it's a good fit, it's not easy. You better make sure they love God's Word. You better make sure they love the Lord. Not just like, oh yeah, I'll get there, I'll love the Lord. No, no. If you're marrying my son or my daughter, I'm not even going to ask you if you love the Lord. Because you can say anything. I'm going to be watching you. Watch him. Watch that girl, Matthew. Jordan, watch that guy. Watch him. Do they love the Lord in their actions? Because what they are is more likely what they're going to say. God can intervene in someone's life and God can change them. He does that. He does that in marital relationships. The wife can win the husband who wasn't a believer. But I'm saying, if you get to pick and you're praying to God to lead that person into your life, you want someone that loves the Lord. Do you realize that if my wife dies and I was to choose to remarry, God tells me, you must marry someone that loves me? You don't get the choice then. God says, if you're going to follow me and be in my will, you must love someone that loves me. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to each other. And he comes first if he's your groom. And she comes first if she's your bride, not you. It is God. It is your spouse. Then it's you. And eventually the kids do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control there it is how to improve your marriage Without saying a word, this is how we get to the right place. May God's anointing be on his word, this message, and your lives as you surrender to be what he would have you be. Would you bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for marriage and relationship. We just pray, Father, that this four-part series has helped challenge us 
to surrender to you so that our marriages could be made stronger. Help us to be patient with one another in our individual relationships, but patient in our marital relationships. Help us to truly love as a verb. We pray your blessing on all of these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Next week, we start our sermon series entitled Abundance. We're going to look at four psalms that deal the abundance that we have in our relationship with God as we enter the Thanksgiving season. God bless.